In Switzerland, it's illegal for a train to have exactly 256 axles. The system they use to check if there's a train on the tracks counts the numbers of axles passing and stores it in 8-bit memory, causing the number 256 to be treated as zero. Welcome to an arbitrary number of fractions that you probably haven't heard of. I'm Rasmus. <laughs> and I'm Red. I'm Jan. And I'm James from Molten Make. Hey. Hey, hey. Welcome. welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much welcome, for having James. So how the fuck are you doing? You know what? I'm doing really well, despite being on this podcast. <laughs> and, and that surprises me. <laughs> 20 seconds in, shots fired. Okay. I mean, yeah, I've heard this before. <laughs> I'm really good. Yeah, I, uh, I had a lovely day at work and then I was kind enough to be invited on by you guys. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. Exactly. Come on, so, guys, back me up on this one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, no, it's very nice to have James Thank you. There. Of course. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think I could see Rasmus searching for the kick out of chat button. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's scanning the lights like, where was that button again? <laughs> oh, it, it's, it's great to have you. It's uh, just been a hectic week, and it's going in to be a hectic couple of days as well, or week as well. Why is that? So, uh, well... I had I had a certain weird German show up in Norway oh. <laughs> this week. Do tell. But, <laughs> but, but, but we, we can we can leave the, the teasing for now, and uh, James can tell us about more of his maker maker week days something. Yeah, Reason so I, I spent a long time on Instagram watching. Um, oh wait, no, I shouldn't say. You just said don't say which German it was. Uh, no, <laughs> I my recent thing I've been doing this week is oddly three D printing. Uh, Oddly, because it's not something I really do a lot of, but I've had a 3D printer for 10 years. I, I bought an Ultimaker a long, long time ago, and I definitely go through spells of different things, and I needed to get it working again because I moved it from one shelf to another, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to dive back into this. And about three days later, I thought, ah, yes, I really like 3D printing for uh, one of my other new hobbies. It seems that I always seem to have a new hobby, but cameras. Yeah, you, you accumulate them for some reason. I, I do. I think it's more they're attracted to me. I don't think it's my fault. I think they, they just <laughs> fall. Is that what you tell your wife? Yes. It's like I'm, a, like, I'm like a gravity well for hobbies. that They just fall down naturally towards me and there's nothing I can do to stop them. So I be. walk past an antique thrift store <laughs> yeah. and suddenly out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a, a not uncommon occurrence in my life. Oh, honey, this Heidelberg press followed me home. Can we keep it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that was technically a birthday present to myself. But, okay, fair enough. Also, in the case but of the Heidelberg press, you can go, it's like, honey, if you don't like it, if you can carry it out, you can throw oh, it away. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the rule. Yeah, if, you, if you want to move it, it's fine. You can put it wherever you want. <laughs> All one and a half tons of it. At, at some point, she will get really crafty and creative and actually manage to manhandle things in some impressive ways. I'm fairly sure she's applying for a forklift license as we speak. <laughs> she's watching that, that old German video of like whoever's first day at work. Stabber, oh, uh, Klaus. Yeah, Klaus. Yeah, it's Klaus. Yeah, oh my God. That was cool. I was going to say Klaus and I thought, no, that might just be an assumption of a common German name, but yeah, Klaus's first day. Oh no, yeah, yeah, it's that one checks off all the the boxes. It's from like sixties, <laughs> seventies, yeah. I believe. It's pretty mm. old. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think it is. Anyway. Yeah, so I've, I've been tuning up my 3D printer, trying to improve it, getting it working perfectly and thinking, no, I can make it better and then breaking it and having to start back from the beginning. But I was much quicker the second time around. So is it better now or just fixed? It's fixed. It's back to where it, when it was perfect and I wanted to make it better. I was back to that <laughs> okay, stage. Okay. Yeah, yeah, backpedal completely. Yeah, when's going to be the next cycle where you try to improve it again? Uh, when I forget about how I tried to do it before. Because I, for those who are really interested, <laughs> I tried to install Clipper, which is a different way of running your 3D printer. So a Raspberry mm-hmm. Pi or some standalone computer runs the G-code and tells your printer what to do rather than using the board that is on your printer. So you're using something much more powerful and it has some very clever things that will make your prints better, more so than what I had already where my prints were working very well. So I thought, I have to have this, I must try. And I think when I think, ah, yes, I need to try and get this slightly better, that's when I'll go down the rabbit hole again. But I have saved what I've done so far on on my GitHub just so that future me will go, ah, yes, don't do this. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Good. How about you, Red? Um, I don't want to say same thing. Uh, because that's what I've been saying for the past three weeks. Uh, Nine I, I ca- months uh, or months, yeah. No, I actually, <laughs> I actually got things done. So the the dishwasher leak is fixed uh, after many attempts uh, at fixing it, uh, but it should be actually done. I also, uh, and that's 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 the big thing for me this week. That's that's something that um, I really wanted to do for a long time. I changed I changed the motor of my sewing machine, the the big uh, industrial leather uh, sewing machine that I bought a few years ago. Had a very very uh, powerful uh, motor. I think it was a three horsepower, running at three thousand RPM. Um, it was really fast and really strong, and it was actually very—I mean, yeah, and very really strong scary. and very <laughs> scary. Absolutely, too powerful and too scary for me, uh, because I'm—I'm—I—I I don't have the time to learn how to use it for one full year or two. Uh, I just wanted it to be practical and and just work with it. But if the machine is too powerful for yourself, you're going to waste a lot of leather trying to make the piece that you want to make. And I can't afford it. it. So basically, I bought a step motor from a Chinese company for 100 euros, got it delivered, uh, and it works perfectly. It's great. So I assembled it. I just had to modify the the table of the sewing machine just a little bit because it was a shorter motor, so the belt doesn't rub against the hole in the table. Um, But other than that, it works great and you can slow the motor down to 500 RPM and go up to 5000 uh, RPM, which I will probably never use. Um, but yeah, it's slow, so you, you can really go step by step and, and stitches to t- stitches uh, to, to, to do whatever you want to do with it. So yeah, that's, that's something I wanted to do for a very, very long time. Nice. And so, it's done, so I'm happy. 
red if you talk about chinese stepper motor is that uh, is it still like normal functional or are you actually now activating it by one of those throttle handles for yeah. the oh, RC I wish it would, be, <laughs> would be so nice <laughs> to have that no no you have you just you just um modified the, the swing machine that you have they send you all the pieces so uh, it, it use it uses the um, the pedal pedal that you have on the oh, big industrial okay, machine okay, okay. so it's it's all salt in order to just replace the old motor that you have on your industrial machine. So, so it's not a stepper motor with a drive that they send as a combo packet, but it's actually just a motor that connects to the type of sewing machine you have? It, there is there is the motor, there's the drive, there is all the mechanical parts that you need to uh, attach it to the pedal of the industrial machine, all the cables. It's a full package just That's to... That's pretty cool. You installed and it works, and it's actually really, really good for for the amount of money that I paid for. Um, so yeah, now I, I will finally be able to use my sewing machine uh, as I intended to mm -hmm. a few years ago, uh, and that makes me happy. And also, I, I had a bath, which was my first bath in six years. That explains the smell. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 was ex <laughs> that was expected. The the comment yeah. was expected. I, I, I have to say, you It was yeah. It was. I handed it to you. Uh, it's like a ball ball when you put the ball up for someone else to smash it. Yeah. Absolutely. But no, no, just set them up. I'll knock them down. <laughs> Red, your your previous motor was that a stepper or a servo motor before, or did it have a clutch? No, it has. It, it it was a big one with a clutch. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, and it it's actually very effective, but also really yeah scary is is, mm. is kind of the the good word because you just push press on the pedal just a little bit, and it goes almost full speed, but it's far from being full speed. So you can only imagine pushing harder on the pedal and go actually go full speed. It's kind of crazy how. Fast and and powerful those machines are. Um, they they I believe uh, I don't remember who told me that, but uh, I believe the machine that I have was made to uh, sew um, three or four layers of tarp together uh, to to make the the big uh, circus um, thingy. Oh, circus tents. Yeah. yeah, circus tents, uh, which is really thick. So you have to have a very very powerful machine. And it, it it's leather like it's nothing. So yeah, yeah, that's that's really cool. Because the I think the tell me if I'm wrong, but with a clutch motor, when you start to engage it, it slips and then it'll suddenly grab. Yeah, exactly. And then it's got a, a sort of pulleys that are side by side, so the belt goes between yeah. them, and then it will rise up and down that depending on your your lever, DV your speed. Exactly. Control. Yeah. So that yeah. a yeah. servo motor or a stepper motor with an encoder, that slow speed action like is the key mm. you get full or close to full torque don't you yeah at yeah. slow speed that that's what i was i was saying that um you, i think you really have to learn to use those machines with with a big model like this with a clutch because if you're not used to it it will not act as you want it to act it will it will start uh by surprise so to speak uh and you can you can just mess the piece that you are working on um, so yeah, uh, for a beginner, uh, air quote, beginner like me with a swing machine uh, with leather, I think it's, I've used a sewing machine before and very um, 
efficiently, uh, but not not this one. So a step model is definitely the way I wanted to go uh, with it. And thank you to Myers uh, because that's 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 him that encouraged me to um, to take the leap and order the step model for this machine when we talked at Mega Central. So thank you, Myers. Yeah, I mean he he's the kind of person who. Uh, I guess sort of like James. He's sort of like, "Oh, that's a nice sewing machine." Now I have ten of them. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and um, I may have to talk about him in the podcast uh, again in a few weeks for reasons. I will I will explain when when it's done. Yeah, but I know that's your week. Uh, yeah, that's my week. Nice. Not to interrupt you, but no, 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 like no, no, no. <laughs> you're not, you're not pushing further about the bus situation, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> I can if you want to. If no, it just makes I, you feel it, better. It, no, or? just, just a word about it. It, 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 it. I decided to take a bath. We have a bathtub now in the apartment, uh, so yeah, oh, it was. That is a good luxury, though. Exactly. So mm-hmm. that was my. I, I took the the time and uh, everything that you take uh, when you decide to take a bath. Um, yeah, I, I allowed myself to have this this moment of just being in a bathtub for 30 minutes, one hour, doing nothing, just relaxing because it was so hot, hot outside because we had a big heat wave uh, in the past few days. Just wanted so, to ask, with that, with that kind of heat wave going on, a nice yeah. cool bath, probably like two or three packages of ice cubes in it. Something like <laughs> that, yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and it felt really good so yeah that yeah, that's uh, my uh, uh, we had a heat wave here as well it's yeah it was like 20 degrees. yeah is it exactly <laughs> we, had, 22. we had 38 22 22 yeah. oh damn Tw- you survived yeah, it was it was like 25 in the sun and Be you survived like, well the sun barely. watches up how many hours of the day is the sun up at the moment uh, about 30 <laughs> yeah it, it just never goes down <laughs> yeah well, it com- comes up before know. it goes down yeah it's sunrise um, two hours before sunset it's it's really trippy i can tell you that it's really trippy when you have sunsets before sunrises and it, it gets funny really weird yeah. really quickly <laughs> it's, it's kind of like the sun is going down and just before it's like hitting the horizon it's gonna do that curve like going up again and <laughs> <Yeah>. nope <laughs> yeah. you can hear all the norwegians going uh, uh, it's gonna be cool again no uh. <laughs> well that, that's yeah. the benefit of being so far north is that like it's it's cool all the time really well, I mean, at, at least compared to the rest of you, where it's down south and so horrible. It's, it's and so cool that Jan is completely red again. That's, that's yeah, what you're saying? actually something you're uh, not supposed to underestimate is the uh, power of the sun there. And um, yeah, because that like uh, going down to that or t- talking about that, I mean, it's like pretty obvious that I went to Norway with uh, Steph, my wife. And also visit Erasmus there, but uh, yeah, we went hiking. Don't spoil it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jeez, I tried so hard. <laughs> Don't ruin it. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, the first day we arrived, uh, we went up to Yelo, like up in the mountains, and spent some time there. So uh, you're you're now also making city names up, just like Erasmus. <laughs> I, I like the German. I like, I like the German way of spelling of it because it's like written Gailo. And Which that's is, close to how it's pronounced, Yailo. Yailo, yeah. But but Gailo, like Gailo is um, just to say, it's like, well, originally translated means horny in German. That that fits some people I know like, from uh, there. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's, it's pretty fun, but it, you know, it's used as an expression of something's like awesome 
you say geil or as in, in, in the geilo. Okay. And so that, that always made it funny and gave us a little chuckle whenever we saw the sign when it was written somewhere. It's like for, for English people to read Ausfahrt when, when they see like the, the exit on a highway in the state in Germany. So it's kind of the same, same effect. No, but uh, we actually, um, this, the sun was actually pretty brutal. Like it has a lot of power. So we use sunscreen and I used it in my face and on my arms and I forgot to, and I forgot it in my neck, like the first day. And um, I think you saw the pictures, Ras. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that, that, that was pretty brutal. I was a uh, um, proper redneck for about two days. You did a good job. <laughs> <laughs> but then it got brown pretty fast. So no, it was it was a wonderful time. What did you do? Uh, where did you go? What have you seen? So we arrived there. I mean, the last recording we had, I was already there. That was the crappy yeah. internet. Actually, the one place that uh, advertised that they have really fast internet was the one where I ended up not having internet at all. Only for the recording, though. Like, about an hour later, everything was stable again and really fast. <laughs> Obviously. So, oh. yeah. Probably on purpose. Probably everyone watching Netflix at the same time or something. No, um, we arrived in, like I said, we started in Yellow, up, um, a little bit like in the mountains and on the fjord. Then we went down to, um, I think it's called Flesberg. Flesberg, yeah. Yeah. And uh, that was really nice. <laughs> but, you know, he, do you realize he does this accent? There's the normal Rasmus talking yeah. in English accent, and then he yeah, does yeah. this other Norwegian <laughs> accent. Yeah. It's a little bit quieter and more sensible. It's yeah. weird. I'm sure he's making that up he all is. the time. I mean, it's, 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 just, it's just good at, at, at making things up very quickly. No, he gets more quiet even that. Like, if it you does. hear him talking, he suddenly, like, switches over and talks um, in Norwegian to someone. You can get him, like, all <laughs> quiet and polite and, like, that soft voice. And then he turns around, like, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just trying to fit into the culture. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, because it's, it's, it's now that Norwegian are very quiet and calm people. Why do you say that like that? I mean, I, I, w I had history classes and I know what happened. So <laughs> last time a, last, a last band time. of Norwegians visited France, <laughs> exactly. is that what you mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. W which is now ended up being the whole of Normandy. Yeah. Mm, okay, but moving on. <laughs> anywho, what was pretty cool is on the way to, I believe it was on the way to Flesberg, we started and or stopped at the oldest uh, wooden church in Norway. Uh, no, the largest. Is it the largest? I thought it was also he the Hedl? oldest. Hedl, yeah. Yeah, uh, um, I might be mistaken, but I know it's the largest one. Okay. Good. Is that the so, big wooden black church between the, the, the mountains that you see? Yeah, That's all of them. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. All this of them are big, wooden, and between mountains. That's Norway. <laughs> But I did say black, the black one. <laughs> yeah. This is the one from Instagram. No, they, on Instagram, yeah, yeah, that one. Because yeah. of the tar. That's how they, they treated the wood. So they're not... also all black? Yeah, no, well, they're supposed it. to be black. They turned brown as the, as the tar is worn away. Okay. So that was that one, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll, I'll post pictures. The, um, so that one was really interesting. It's not as big as you would think, which is actually kind of funny because if you see it on the pictures, it looks like a gigantic building and it's actually not. Well, it was for the medieval times, but if you look at the like churches we have in Europe, it's dwarfing in comparison to it. I mean, we're I talking about like, like maybe it's like, if you're lucky, you can get like a 70 or 80 people in there. 
Wow. In the I mean, church. That, no, I think I think it actually housed more people originally. I mean, personal space, nothing. Okay. And you yeah. you saw it during the heat wave, so presumably it gets smaller in the cold weather. <laughs> 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 That's a good point. Uh, <laughs> never, never fails to get an anatomical joke from a doctor. <laughs> I just had to do it before you did. Yeah, yeah well, true. true. <laughs> that, that, that's fair. I can't complain. <laughs> good luck going going after that. Uh, okay, where was I? I completely. It was very big at the time. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Although it was smaller uh, yeah. than you expected, nonetheless. Exactly. <laughs> it, was, it was smaller on the inside. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a good times. Um, it was too much stuff we saw. We went to the Silver Mines, the old ones, had a guided tour there. Uh, so we just did a ton of hiking in between. We, st- and uh-huh. like, we stayed at four different places, the last being Oslo, where we stayed for three days. Every other place, we basically stayed for two. And um, it was absolutely wonderful. I mean, the weather was really nice. It was always around 20 degrees. Did you manage to find the gold, the silver that you wanted to, to find? Yeah, that was kind of um, a dumb, dumb move on my side because um, I was expecting for the mines or some of the mines to still be operational, which I was told with uh, from the lady basically laughing at me, saying it's like, no, they haven't been active since I believe like the beginning of the 70s. Because uh, the worth of silver is not high enough to uh, for the, the labor it costs. They say there's still 40% of the silver. They, they suspect 40% of the silver to still be in the mountain. But it's yeah, just but too it, expensive to um, get to it extract. out there. Yeah. yeah. So, and also all of the silver belongs to the king. So they would never sell it there, but just like ship it off, melt it in or uh, process it and then sell it. Yeah, so if these days, if you're buying silver, the, the chances that you're buying the Norwegian one is pretty slim because they said they usually get the silver where labor is cheaper. Yeah. And did they did they say what the silver, was it silver ore? Because there's, is it Galena that's lead and silver? So there are some places they've stopped yeah. mining because it's more expensive no, I, I, to process the lead or? No, it's just, oh. I, I think it was mainly just because of the labor in that yeah. case and also during uh world war second they actually used some of the mines and hollowed it out even more to uh hide their treasures the national treasures from the germans so uh that that's, there was some pretty interesting histories and in, uh or history in there and now they have like a huge hall down there where they used to store that stuff and they have like a bar in there which you can rent for company events that's cool Mm-hmm. So that it, it was really interesting um, seeing that, and even with that minecart, like driving into the mountain, which was absolutely fascinating because you drive into the mountain in that minecart, it's closed, it's completely dark. Uh, you wear earplugs because of the noise, but it goes really slow. Only they, they say probably like ten kilometers an hour. It's like five six miles per hour, but you, after a really short amount of time, you lose any perception of time because it's dark, it's noisy and you're moving and you don't know if you've been going for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, half an hour, like you have no feeling suddenly there's light again and you're getting out and you're inside the mine. And then they basically tell you, it's like, oh, all you did was basically going straight into the mountain for about 300 meters <laughs> and wow. it's like 800, I believe, but just really, really slow. So, yeah. I, I, I checked quickly and um 
they extracted basically almost like 100% pure silver ore oh, wow. mm-hmm. in lumps up to 50 kilos. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, not only is that 50 kilos like rare no matter what, yeah. but having pure. fairly pure silver in wow, the beginning is, is <coughs> rare in itself. Mm, uh, silver mine has been going since like the early 1600s. Yeah. And there's actually been a big uh, tradition in Norway of stuffing valuables into the silver mines whenever the Germans invade. We also yep. did that in Oslo. Yeah. So there's a silver mine under, in, sort of underneath the center of Oslo as well. And they, they stuffed uh, Queen Maud's sarcophagus in there when the Germans came. Yeah. Which, if it's nobody really knows about the mine now i know where the entrance are because i've read a lot of books uh and you would not believe that anyone would be able to fit anything into that opening especially not a sarcophagus for a queen but mm. yeah yep oh and also they but the, the special thing about the silver mines is that special kind of like strained silver they have that was just yeah, that, actually that, still like really valuable they have a piece about the size of maybe a fist a little bit bigger and it, um, I think the worth is over $2 million, uh, US dollars for it. Just collector's value, not the silver itself. But they said it's kind of the way it exists is you have silver strains inside the, uh, a certain rock that built. And then you had water going through, washing away the rock. And then you got those, it looks like a yarn almost. And I yeah, saw it, that, and I that, saw it in Oslo at the museum and it looked absolutely weird. Like just weird looking if you, if you look at it, but cool. Sort, yeah. of, sort of like half molten glass solidified kind of thing. Yeah, no, it's just just like somebody takes a cotton ball or like a ball of yarn, but it's silver instead of yarn. With oh. all the empty spaces in between. Yeah, it's like, That's loosely, what you mean, like right? loosely, loosely threaded. Yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's, there's pictures of it. <laughs> Google it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so the then we went to the coast, um, visited the oldest Viking city of Norway, according to them, which was kind of funny because there was a guy just basically let, where the town was. They fenced it <laughs> off. It was 20. <laughs> what the fuck was he doing there? No, this just my brain doing okay, yeah. weird things. The old, yeah. no, oldest no, Viking was, city, was, and there was a guy who was twenty. What the fuck? No, there was there was just a there was just a guy driving his tractor mowing the lawn, and there were cows on on the lawn of it. And it's just like this is the most historical city, the oldest city in the world, and it's just basically farmland, and they just let left the ruins in the middle and just cut around yeah. it. Oh yeah. Uh, and, and for those keeping track, the, the town in mention is Kautbank. Yeah. Did it again. Which, yep. which in, is uh, Old Norse for buying. Buying? Trading. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had a pretty big shipyard there, according to the stuff we yeah. read there. Yeah. And then we went to Oslo and we visited a certain blacksmith at the market and were greeted with, oh, fuck off. <laughs> was Erasmus disappointed that you had met another blacksmith and he had seen that? <laughs> I don't get jealous that easily. <laughs> and you yeah. forged together, right? Yes. Uh, so the first, well, we met him and he still had to work. So we laughed a little bit at him and then went out and uh, returned the rental car and went back to the apartment, get ready. And then in the evening, we met Erasmus for dinner. And if you want to be, um, 
if you want Rasmus to be on time, <laughs> just meet him for dinner. <laughs> we were waiting in front of the restaurant and like, I'm receiving a message. It's like, are you guys waiting downstairs in the pub? And we're like, no. And he's just walking down the stairs that moment. He was already up there. So, <laughs> waiting yeah. for food, obviously, as he does. Pretty much, yeah. No, we had a great time. And then the next day, um, we, well, Ras had some work to do and we did some sightseeing where we mentioned like the different, uh, the natural history museum, the botanical gardens and all that nice stuff you can uh, do in Oslo. And in the evening we met up with Ras uh, at his workshop and we forged some of those beautiful roses, which was a ton of fun. And we had pizza and a couple of drinks. Yeah. And a lot of pizza and more drinks. Exactly. <laughs> and it's hilarious just looking at the time. It's like, well, we have to catch the last bus. It's like, why? I'm looking at the watch and say, oh, it's 12 o'clock and you're looking outside and it's basically day. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, okay, yeah, we probably should go. It's that just your, your, super it, trippy. It is so trippy because all of you does, like your body just at a certain point tells you just like, yeah, I had enough. I want to go to sleep now. And you're looking at it, but it's like the middle of the day. I can't go to sleep, especially if you're not used to taking naps or stuff like that. Because that's all, like every single time you go to bed, it just feels like taking a nap. And one thing I don't get in Norway is all the Airbnbs we got, the curtains they had in the rooms, they were see-through. There was none <laughs> where you can actually make the room completely dark. You always had the oh, sun yeah. shining through. So at no, any point no you shadows, were there. No nothing outside no, to no, completely no. blow the light. It's, it's like you don't know about blinds. Yeah. I mean, we value our sunshine. Yeah, sure, yeah, to a certain point, but damn, you need your sleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty much just like, why would you change that? Because like, why would you use shutters? You only need them like half of the year. <laughs> the other half is dark. Well, then you're keeping other people see, looking in. Yeah. The, uh, so. quick, quick question, uh, Raz, you are obviously super used to having uh, six months of full light during the day and six months of basically uh, night. Um, yeah. so you are used to that. It, it doesn't affect you in any way because you were born and raised in Norway. Jan, did you observe, uh, any change in your, <clears throat> I don't know, uh, uh, health, uh, way of thinking, uh, way of seeing things, uh, behavior because of those changes in, in the light that you are not used to, like uh, having daylight all the time. I love sunshine. I thrive in the summer. I love the long days, but having no darkness at all is trippy. And I slept like shit. Like this is one of the things I recognize is, uh, I only had one night that I actually slept well. And this was one Airbnb. It was close to the sea. We were able to open just like the front porch completely like the sliding door and uh, we had a cool breeze coming in and also there was no direct window where the sun was setting so it helped us falling asleep a little bit faster because there was just no direct sunlight coming in and that was the night I slept the best but even in that case I only had about six hours of sleep which yeah, is like my normal kind of like the, the normal amount I usually need, but in at, on vacation, I, would, I wouldn't have mind like eight, <laughs> to be honest. 
because me having trouble sleeping insomnia and especially these days with the heat heat wave i'm not sleeping more than four five five hours a day and i'm falling asleep around five in the morning so I'm, I'm, i'm researching a little bit how to sleep better and all the doctors that are speaking about the topic especially in french medias are saying that you have to be in pitch black uh, room with no noise with no uh, air moving because it can also disturb your sleep and and um, go to bed at the exact same time uh, every single day so i'm, I'm speaking on the control gems no. but the, that's basically it so i yeah, can only that, imagine that going in a different country where the light is completely different and the habit is completely different, it can really mess up your sleep. I think you can get used to it. We, we've been hiking a lot, so we've been physically exhausted while going to bed. So that shouldn't have not been the issue. It was really the day late. And I think it's something you can get used to. Uh, we just didn't stay there long enough to um, get used yeah. to it. That there was, and, I think what it comes down to is basically that. And I have to disagree with the wind not moving. I sleep... I always sleep with an open window because just a draft of wind makes me sleep so much better. Oh, me too. I I, I sleep with the fan every every day. Uh, yeah, they say that your your body temperature drops when you go to sleep, but otherwise, yeah, that's all. Everything you said is very mm-hmm. from my non specialist as a not a sleep expert is all right. Uh, suprachiasmatic nucleus. That's the bit of your brain that figures out whether it's bright at night time or not. Can you? Is there a way to? Tr- trick that in yeah. order to yeah how like uh, without any drug um Sleeping can i give you a drug that instead melatonin it's not well it's a drug because you can take it as a tablet but your brain naturally releases melatonin at night time um in kind of a slow thing so you can buy melatonin over the counter in the us it's something we use in hospital a lot for people who are struggling to, with their kind of day night cycle so if it yeah, gets a bit it, out of whack because because that's the hormone that sort of tells your brain or your body that yeah. now it's time to go to bed and it may it's the one that makes you feel tired yeah yeah so by taking a tablet of that you're sort of tricking your body into going straight from being awake to feeling tired and then you can fall asleep yeah that's that the it? idea and it it doesn't yeah. last very long so unlike sleeping tablets the, the kind of yeah, things that you that normally yeah you get kind of the hangover effect you know like you do with antihistamine sometimes we the very old-fashioned antihistamines are quite good for making people sleep. They're not as good for making you not have histamine. Uh, they, they did a study <laughs> looking at people doing their GCSEs. So when you're kind of uh, high school, but the middle is about 16-ish doing your exams, they get people who had hay fever and they gave them a choice of, or they, they assigned them to either the old-fashioned antihistamines, pyritin, chlorphenamine, uh, to the drowsy antihistamines, or nothing, and the people who got nothing did better in their exams than the people who had the antihistamines, because wow. they because the drowsy antihistamines are so good at making you sleepy. Yeah, the that, newer that, ones that they're, they're they're good. They don't they don't make you sleepy. Take those if you get hay fever. Yeah, <laughs> but can you just imagine being told, "Here's a tablet; it'll stop your hay fever. You'll do better in your exams." And then later on, there's a study that said if you'd just put up with it, you would have done better. <laughs> Yeah, that kind of sucks. Yeah. But speaking on the whole sleeping thing, uh, I think it would be a lot easier to live in Norway if you actually are living with the seasons of it. But even then, it might take you a while 
or like for your body to fully adapt to that yearly cycle. Yeah, like that doesn't happen in one season. Um, but it's also like uh, this. This is a study that's been done on the Icelandic population where they have uh, certain genes that makes them, for example, immune to seasonal depression. Yeah, you told and, me that. Yeah, and a lot of the same genes are present in the Norwegian population, but of course we are a bit more mixed in. So, like anyone who is like ethnically Icelandic, all of them have that gene. If you find people who are ethnically Norwegian, it's a bit more of a mixed bag. But generally speaking, uh, it makes sense that when you are at at least the same about uh, of latitude, you have the same amount of sun. So you need some special quirky trait to actually make you want to stay and not and not just want to commit suicide because of seasonal depression, like for decades. Mm-hmm. To, to just to add two little things though to that whole um, Oslo and Norway uh, experience on that, you could instantly tell who's tourist and who's Norwegian just by the dress code. <laughs> you oh, would yeah. see the yeah. tourists in like jackets, fleece jackets, windbreakers, hiking gear, or just with long, basically long clothes walking through, always like taking off the sweater, putting it back on, taking it off, putting it back on. Uh, I kind of like don't mind cold temperatures, so I was basically in my cargo shorts the whole time or wearing t-shirts. But it was funny because you saw the Norwegian people coming out, light summer dresses, um, also shorts, t-shirts, flip-flops. And even when it started raining and it actually cooled down to like 16 degrees where I was in my t-shirt and I was going like, yeah, now it's getting a little bit cold. I should have taken a sweater with me. You saw people like topless sunbathing in the middle of the park. <laughs> and you're going like, it's it's raining. <laughs> Why are you laying there? <laughs> no, but it's just raining now. It'll pass. Exactly. And it will this pass. is not Britain. And it's not that it, like, pour, it was not pouring rain. It was a drizzle and it stopped again. And then you just continue on with whatever you were doing. It was yeah. absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And also there was a Pride Month, which was also cool. Yes. Made for a lot of interesting characters, but also just a lot of colorful flags and stuff. And uh, like a really uplifting feeling in the city, which was nice. My turn? Yeah, that was, uh, yeah. Oh, wait, sorry, did you get up to, to the Rose Castle? Did you get up there? No, or? we had to skip that one in the ah, end. Yeah, we bummer. did not manage to... Um, yeah. get that in time but it, but you did see the fortress I didn't think you mentioned it we now, went, and you did get to the Noble Peace Center yes right? Noble Peace Center yeah. Fortress National Museum where we saw the screen like the original one which was really impressive and also some of the other art pieces there were absolutely stunning uh, and then we went to the Botanical Gardens were really nice the Natural History Museum which is also located there was really cool yeah I think we Quite, we saw quite a lot for the three days. Well, by the sound of it, you, you kept running through museums and looking at plaques instead of reading them. But I won't judge. We stopped for the stuff we were interested in. <laughs> Fair enough. But I do judge, actually. So, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, my week, you ask. Because, like, no, we, we don't have time anymore. We are one hour in. Uh, James, thanks for joining us this <laughs> week. Yeah, I mean, you know what? I, I that was that was lovely hearing both of your weeks. You know what? It's a shame we're not going to hear about. I mean, a shame is a bit of a stretch. But anyway, thanks for having me. <laughs> you old cunts. <laughs> uh, I, I just really wanted to get in on what I did last Friday. Yeah. What did I you do last Friday? <laughs> 
I did a podcast. You did? A different podcast. A Norwegian podcast about fun facts. Yeah, he cheated on us. Yeah. <laughs> not cool, man. Not cool. Tell us hey, about it's not, it. It's not we were like... No, we're not married. Don't care. Don't worry. No, like, yeah, <laughs> I, I ran out of jokes there. Um, yeah, no, it's um, uh, hosted by uh, a science communicator. And usually have like really interesting science communicators and uh, science adjacent people on. And then for some reason, me this time. Why? Uh, but it's all about fun facts. And they are like sort of pit- dueling with fun facts and sort of trying to have the best one. And they sort of vote on the end uh, and things like that. And... I I we recorded two episodes and I think the second one was the best one of the two, sort of uh, in in how the story and dialogue went. But like uh, one thing that's really fascinating, that I'll actually it's all in Norwegian, so none of you will really be able to listen to it properly anyway. But uh, the the host uh, Andreas Val he had a story about a man who drank soda water until he dissolved what yeah it 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 drank soda soda water yes until it dissolved like yes did he have central pontine demyelination syndrome yeah that <laughs> where you dissolve the myelin sheath off your brain no oh, okay uh, i'm out of ideas I, <laughs> no but this was in the time where they thought radon was a wonder curve for everything uh, despite being radioactive okay. so yeah he got prescribed that by his doctor that oh maybe he should have like a teaspoon of radioactive water a day and then he thought like ooh this tastes rather good let me have a bit more okay and he over the course of uh I don't even know how long. I think the whole thing lasted for maybe a bit more than a decade. But like over certain years, he would ramp up from a teaspoon a day to three bottles Oof. a day. So yeah, okay. Of liquid radium. Uh, or radon. Radon, I guess it was. Um, and it did oh, take so that long? T- ten years? Yeah, well, because I'm the doses s- is so small. Okay. That yeah. It just took uh, the accumulative effect of it was yeah, yeah. T- it took okay. a while to build up, but it ended up like uh, leaching cal- calcium from his bones, yeah. like his lower jaw just fell off at some point, uh, and then of he stopped drinking it because at some point the doctor thought like maybe that's no longer good for you, like after bottling it. Yeah. Uh, once or, you've lost your jaw, you, you can uh, yeah, you can assume that it's not good for you anymore. <laughs> that's yeah, the really interesting part. Like that's the only point where the doctor came back in and said, "So that thing we told you about, maybe stop that now." And then <laughs> he died a year afterwards. So interesting health effects from that one. How how um, is the podcast called? Yes, with the interrobang at the end. Ooh. Yes, I know. <laughs> My favorite, second favorite printing mark. What's what's your first one? The printer's fist. That's which that. sounds really exciting, it's, but it's just... It's just like... It's the pointing tell... hand, which... If, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So for everyone listening to this, you have no idea any better than what I'm doing. But imagine if you point at something with your hand, it looks like no, that. No, like, <laughs> Go look it up. It's, it, it was very pre- 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 prevalent in like newspapers or advertisement from yeah. like the 18, late 1800s. Yeah, you would always have sort of this thing of, oh, here's something really interesting, and it would be a sort mm. of a stylized hand pointing at it. That's, yeah, that's what I mean. A manicure or a printer's fist. 
And then the Interra Bang is the second best. What's the worst? Do we have the least favorite? Uh, The EM dash. So dashes, there's different types. There's EN for November and EM for Mike. So your dash length is... Oh. (laughs) uh, So because M and N look very similar in terms of shape and one is wider than the other. Okay. So there are different dashes. Yeah, I, 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 we actually use the two different ones more or less regularly in Norwegian. Oh, really? Yeah. And you, you know the different, like, someone would look at it and go, oh, you've put the wrong dash. No, nobody cares. Oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, our, our uh, sort of uh, typesetting, sort of, it prefers one over the other depending on the context it's in. Yeah, there is there's sense. a specific use case for each one, which I don't know, but I know that there is a correct way to use them. Yeah, it's... Um, in Norwegian, we would use it instead of parentheses around uh, a, a adaptation inside of a sentence, if that makes sense. Okay. I'd like so a they quote, would have just like longer dashes there. Sir? Like a quotation. So a quotation from someone, you'd use dashes. No, not, not a quotation, but like if a... you have like a small footnote in the middle of oh, a sentence, okay. that kind of note, note than being bracketed. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So in Norwegian, we would have those longer dashes being used there, and then you would only use the shorter dashes when you're connecting words, basically. Yeah, that's, that, that I think is the correct use. That And the longer one, which I think is an M-E-M dash, is to denote a, like a pause, a bit like a comma, but mm. the E-N dash is like D-functioning, if you spell it with a separate bit or... Yeah. And well, this is getting super nerdy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Answer my question, James. How how did you fall into this rabbit hole of of printing with with the press and and knowing all the stuff about all the characters and and, and stuff? Like that? Is this there an event or is just I've always, a... well, I've always liked typography and I quite like typographic design. So if you've got a really interesting font, the one I always notice there's a font called Bleeding Cowboys, and if you go to any uh, like country and Western, slightly edgy country and Western, not old fashioned, modern. They use a font called Bleeding Cowboys and you have to pay for it for commercial use. I even remember the license because I see it so often. Uh, so I, anyway, go look up Bleeding Cowboys, uh, the font. Don't look up Bleeding Cowboys. That's a different thing. <laughs> uh, but I've always liked fonts in a way, or at least type. I never really thought about it until I got into this. And maybe three years ago, two years ago, something like that, I was looking for something else on Facebook Marketplace and I saw a a little Adana printing press. So these are eight by five inches is the total size of the chase, the, the sort of area within which you can put type. And someone was selling it. Clearly it was, you know, an elderly relative who presumably passed away. They were trying to get rid of it. And I thought, oh yeah, I've seen those, those letterpress things. And I'd tried to make some business cards for something as a letterpress and it's insanely expensive. And I only wanted a hundred or 200 and they, you know, they say, oh, it's going to be hundred and hundred pounds. And I thought, well, I'm not paying five pounds a business card and gave up the idea, but I had the design and, I saw this and suddenly thought, 100 quid plus all of this other stuff. That's actually on the way to something I'm already doing today. And so I ended up getting that. And I think I, I didn't even bother doing the other thing I was, I was meant to do. 
And, and, I, when that, and then, sorry, that's the small one you have in the shed in the garden. That the is, yeah. So I, yeah. I started off with that one and that came with a load of uh, metal type. So the, the history of set type, I imagine everyone knows kind of the Gutenberg Bible and the printing press. The, it was not the press as such that was the, the invention. Presses have been around for ages. It was movable type. So having something that you could get someone who was a typesetter, that was a job. They would set the type. Someone else was a printer. They actually made the impression. And that was the big innovation. And so it starts off with wood block type and then metal type. And then there's there's actually metal type machines. So liner type is a thing people might have heard of where you made the sentence that you were going uh, going to print out of cast metal as a whole sentence. So you typed it. And the way it works is you have these little registers and the mechanism is incredible. You type it on a little keyboard on the side. This is pre-QWERTY keyboards. So it's a different keyboard. You type it and these like little metal tags almost line up and then you type set that line and the machine will cast it. So you oh, get a, wow. I've seen that. I've seen that there is there is one last guy in France doing this job. Is the the last one because it's so complicated uh, that it would take years to train someone else to take his place. And the guy is already like seventy years old, and he is the only one able or qualified to operate this machine. Uh, and and it's absolutely crazy to see him work on this machine. But it's very fascinating. Yeah. They're really interesting machines. There's even someone on YouTube who has converted one to be digital. So he can type on a keyboard, like a normal computer oh, keyboard. Quirky. Quirky keyboard. And there's a, I think it is run on a Raspberry Pi Python script that will actuate the, and I can't remember if it's liner type or the other one, but a metal casting machine to produce lines of solid metal text that you can then print with. That is awesome. Yeah, if I'm gonna ha- if I'm gonna have to put that one in the show notes, you might need to give me a couple of weeks to find it again. But it is well <laughs> worth searching for. So basically, you you started just by accident because you were interested and wanted to do something else, but it was like just here for a, a small amount of money, and you you just thought, yeah, why not? Because oh yeah, I always wanted to do it. So you worked with the twenty pound. You started with a twenty pound machine and thought the next logical step would be buying a half a ton. Heidelberg Press. Technically, the the cost increase was only about three times. So I <laughs> I only paid about three hundred pounds for my Heidelberg Press. Wow, that is unheard wow. of. Wow. Okay, that's impressive. Do you, do you that's know what's even deal. worse? I was looking on one of my favorite secret auction websites uh, <laughs> yesterday. There was one that sold for five pounds. Oh, what? Because why? yeah, why? No one because they're heavy. They're they're about a ton and a half. Yeah, and they are. It's not difficult to move them. It's just expensive, and you need to find someone who's done it before. And that's the cost. So when I bought mine, the cost of moving it it was about six hundred pounds to move it from where it was to where I wanted it, which is in the grand scheme of things of a really expensive machine that was built in the seventies, and will last another seventy years. It's not that much. It's a lot of money if you have no real interest in it. But for the machine you're getting, it's really for good. Sure. And this is this is the problem with machinery. 
And Rasmus and I have talked about this before. If you want to buy a small lathe, so most of the lathes or mills that people in the maker community look at are either the kind of hobby desktop size. Occasionally, people look at bridge ports. Um, yep, yep. But if you want a bigger lathe, they're cheaper. Yeah. So the they biggest are. lathes are super Transport cheap is- and they are sold for less than scrap value because yeah. no one wants to move them. Sometimes they are given to you, but you yeah. can't take it because you can't just move it, and or, yeah. it, or it would be too expensive to to move it and to bring it back well, home. I mean, even if you get a rigger, you get the problem with most of them with being three phase, or even worse, just space. That's not a problem. Yeah. Three phase is easy. Yeah, three phase is easy. We have three phase at home. Uh, the only space I could make, but transportation of this big heavy machine, I couldn't. That was my only problem. Otherwise, I would have a big industrial lace in the garage at my parents' house and I would be super happy, but I'm not. So anyway. But when it comes to like some kind of tools, like if it was like an old printing press, so especially a Heidelberg, like I, I would find a way to get that to wherever the fuck I could store it in Norway. Because especially if it's like in near working condition, because then it's like, no, no, I want to just keep this safe. Just so it doesn't deteriorate further mm-hmm. or gets broken or something. But also, it's just a fantastically mechanical machine. Yeah, and that's the key. That the mechanical bit, as long as it's sound, you can replace the rest. So if you don't have three-phase, and I don't, you can run a variable frequency drive, and you can fake three-phase well enough for most machines. So you can run a bridge port on a variable frequency drive. You know, Little things like the lights or the pump for coolant might not work, but you can work around that. I bought yeah. a horizontal metal bandsaw, having had the little four by sixes, eight by tens, the ones that everyone so uh, everyone who gets into machining has when they start, and they're great. They work really well, but they're slightly frustrating and slow. And I bought one from a company that was local to where my workshop is. Again, they were getting rid of it, and it was three phase. And I put a variable frequency drive on it, and now I've got variable speed control. Yeah. And if and I ripped out all of the electronics, replaced it with that, because I knew that worst case scenario, the casting is good, and all I need to do is get it to spin. And and with the press, I mean, it's well a lot with most all of these machines. You only need to spin a certain bit anyway, and then everything is linked to that. Yeah. So it doesn't really care that much how you spin it, as long as it goes around in. Yeah, more or less you, a regular you, lose, fashion. you lose a little bit of torque and there's a slightly different power response for having faked three-phase rather than real. But for anything simple where it's just turning, variable frequency drives are great. And you mm. often add extra capability. Inheritance Machining uh, was doing something similar that he's um, converting his grandfather's machine shop into his own. And one of the episodes he was talking about rewiring his lathe and couldn't really get it to work. And then he said, oh, well, so I just got this variable frequency drive and it's replaced this entire box of everything. Because he was trying to run it, you know, just plug plug it into the box and he realized all of this extra stuff's getting in the way. Oh, and now I can put it in the space where that was. Handy. Yeah. James, is it safe to assume that all the machinery that you and the tools that you buy and use gives you pleasure but by by making stuff with them but also finding the machineries and tools that you restore and put back into 
working condition bring you also the same not not same kind but same amount of pleasure if and not satisfaction more. if not more yeah that yeah. was that that was where i was going it, it, which which one is gives you more satisfaction making with the tools or just finding and restoring the tools it's hard to say so a lot of the stuff i end up making is someone has asked me to do it and i enjoy doing it and it's great the things for me i think i probably enjoy more than having the machines but lots of the stuff i do is someone's oh could you just do this and that's a quick and it's done and it's not as exciting but the process of optimizing something is very satisfying process optimization as a as a kind of idea is i think a thing that resonates with a lot of makers and it's mm-hmm. for me i find that incredibly satisfying in yeah, a very, I, I mean that's what i do for a living now basically yeah and that that is the difference between making something once and doing it multiple times even you know someone always said it, uh, he was a teacher at school would said Oh, I used to, uh, em- I had to wash wine bottles working in France in a kind of doing a summer season abroad after school. And he figured out that if you spin the bottle when it's, when you're pouring the water out, it creates a vortex that lets the air mm-hmm. go inside so it empties quicker. Mm. And then he said, mm-hmm. I started challenging myself to see how many I could do. And then you start playing games and it's, your brain, I think oh, yeah. is, yeah. at least mine definitely is, but I think most people's is naturally rewarded by optimizing and making something better. And trying yeah. to get better every time. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's a whole problem solving thing. Of yeah. Just the satisfaction of even if it's very arbitrary questions of can I just do this quicker than last time? But it's also the whole thing of well, someone has asked me to do this thing. I want to learn how to do it. The reward is being able to hand it over to someone and say I I did it. It's done. Yeah. But it's and I, I, I very much recognize that feeling of just going like ooh. I have no idea how to do this, but I'm really excited to figure it out. Yeah. And I think making and figuring out problems often, they scratch different itches that you can feel very creative and feel very fulfilled making something beautiful and figuring out the process. And then there's also a different bit of your brain or different bit of your personality that's very satisfied by, I got this thing, it wasn't working. I fixed the problem, then I made it worse, and then I made it better again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because inevitably yeah. there is there is a dip of why have I done this? Everything has has gone to shit. How can I fix this? Oh, now I feel great. Yeah. Th- that's most of your stories that I see on Instagram, for example, is you being with a huge sm- smile on your face because you got a new machinery, you uh, you had a new tool, and you made it work. Uh, it was not working, and now it's working. Um, and and I. F- find it great because in the maker community there is no um not so many people doing um i don't want to say tool restoration because that that's not how i see you do stuff with the tools that you have is your your it's not restoration because for me restoration is what was what what i could do or what i have done taking a shitty tool you clean it take out the rest um from it put some new paint and it's working again and it, it looks better what you are doing is is taking a, a tools that doesn't work and you improve it and and make it better for the next three 40 50 years yeah to come. It's, it's almost the difference between 
I've taken, you know, tool restoration is I've got an antique table that's broke, the leg is broken and I've put the leg back on. I'm much more interested about building a computer in your antique table so that, you know, you can hide it in a, in a stately home and it'll, it'll shout at people if you go too near. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that for me is nice. what I, I would characterize as what I do as. Especially, yeah. especially that shouting at people just for the hell of it. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe just making it fart when we, people walk past. <laughs> something pe- unnecessary yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, I, I very much agree with that that's actually funny it just gave me an idea for a chair with a fart module in it with NFC if you have the right <laughs> yeah. tag it won't do anything but everyone else everyone else who sits on it <laughs> oh there's, there's some opportunities on that one now this is exactly though what I think is that for me restoration is um, restoring a function to something and then, oh, sorry, uh, also, sorry. Now, no, no, no. I don't want to. I, I don't want to get political too deep into it. But no, no, no. no. I've just suddenly had the idea in my mind that you build like a uh, like a twelve people dining set of chairs, and all of them have this random prank in them, and all of them are sort of blocked by your phone's NFT or something. So. You, you you can go and sit in all of them and nothing happens. And anyone else is like, no, no, it slaps you, it missed you in the back of the head, or it farts or whatever. Sorry, I, you I could, just you could clone that would be the apps. If you work yeah. in an office, you could clone people's work ID, which, for legal reasons, <laughs> <laughs> theoretically, the prox mark is a very good way that that might be able to be done. I wouldn't know. Hypothetically. Hypothetically. Particularly if you wanted to reprint your ID photo because you didn't like the one that you had on your work ID. You could then reprint it, change your title to something funnier and uh, keep the same ID access code. You could do that. That would be a, a fun theoretical idea. Yeah. So May I ask how you realised that, that doing such a thing would be illegal? Uh, it's not illegal. No, there's no laws, but I don't think people would be pleased if they knew that you could do it. So it's best not to tell anyone. If if you realize that uh, you had sort of done or made your own ID bag based upon the codes from the old one, and it happens to be a problem with it, and you have to go to IT and hand it over, have them fix it somehow, and they just look at it and go like, "Did did we make this? (laughs) Who is like chief executive Oreo master? I mean, uh, senior senior (laughs) clinical design fellow." (laughs) sorry yeah please continue oh no 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 problem no i think with with the restoration it's just like um restoring the function and improving on it and especially something i like about that is uh, like you said uh, well at least i think there was some work you had to do on the heidelberg press to get it completely operational but where the, the, the fun really starts is you have stuff and you have machines that are already mechanically complex or they do stuff but they were built in a certain age where they were not able to access the technology we have today and use that technology we have today to improve those old machines, keeping the charm and the like the character for like the printing press on what they do, but being able to change them with today's technology to either streamline a process or um, improve on functionality overall. That's something I find amazing if you look at it. And a good example. Mm-hmm. I was saying a good example exactly of that with the printing press is rather than having metal type or wooden type that you fit into a chase and lock up with coins, Q-U-O-I-N-S, coins, mm-hmm. uh, to squeeze everything together, the way that newspapers went is they started producing uh, plates using a uh, like a, 
a photographic technique. So using an, a polymer that you can expose to light and then wash the rest of it away, either with acid for metal plates, mm-hmm. but you can buy, and this is what I use, uh, a UV sensitive plate and it comes with steel backing or with a plastic backing. And the steel backing you can then attach to magnetic stuff and you can print out a transparency with whatever design mirrored. So the black bit is the bit you don't want. Expose it to UV light and wash it away. So it's a water-soluble polymer. Mm. And so that's how I do printing. And you nice. you think that's not going to be very accurate, but actually you can get down to, uh, you can do a single point dot. So you know when you go into Microsoft Word and you select the size of font, the point, mm. the PT, you can do that of size one, and you can do a line that is half a point wide. And oh, so it'll wow. do line detail that precise. I couldn't cut one point wide. You know, CNC no. route, it'll just chip. Yeah. 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 Wow. And, and suddenly you think, ah, oh, that's a really cool technique using photographic techniques for making a solid object. Yeah. And you could use the sun. You don't have to have a UV exposure unit. So mm-hmm. if you wanted to make your own stamps, you could buy a little offcut of this plate from the many places that sell them. Uh, Lime Bay Press in the UK is one if you're looking, and they sell offcuts. And then you can just have a play around with it. And you've got a um, 1.52 millimeter high, no, 15.2, something like 1.5 mil high, uh, embossed or debossed, whichever way you think about it, plate. Mm-hmm. And you can do what you want with that. Nice. So could you 3D print your own character or your own place to go into the machine? You can. And a never yet made YouTube video that I have written down somewhere is called I Don't Have a Printer. And I would my plan was to do it as a like a Vimeo style video or like a kind of like a little mini a short film where I get a ticket for a gig or something. And then it's like, please print your ticket here. And I look around oh. like, I don't have a printer, but I have a 3D printer and an old-fashioned printing press. And the idea was to then print a 3D print and then print the 3D print onto paper using a printer nice. to print the <laughs> thing so cool. from the computer. Please do it when you have time. I know. That, I know I've had it. it's, I, it's been an embarrassingly long time I've had it because I still think it's a cool idea. Absolutely. Uh, but there are, I, I think... think Jimmy Deresta showed a thing of some 3D printed type when he first get it, got into having his Chandler and Price printing presses. So there are people who are yes. recreating old wooden mm-hmm. type with 3D printing and the 3D printed texture lines from Fuse Deposition, you know, the, the kind of classic 3D printer. They said it's a little bit like the scars and the bumps and the cracks in the wood. So you get that same interesting texture, but because of 3D printing. It's quite a cool fusion of 1800s technology and 2000-somethings technology. Yeah, you can basically copy old text that you see somewhere. You can go and you can make a picture out of an old stone tablet somewhere or an old print, like directly from the page, and get it in one of the graphic programs, extrude it, and then print it, or the letters for it, and then use it on your printing press to get an exact copy of something. Yeah, so even even if, if you've got an iPhone that's got LiDAR in, which yeah. I don't, but I still think is really cool, you could scan something, print mm-hmm. it, so you could steal. And typefaces used to be owned by 
so DeLittle of New York, for example, owned, we made this font. We're the only ones that have the files of it. It's a little bit pointless now because computers exist, but I could, in theory, scan it, the entire typeface, yep. and reproduce it with my 3D printer. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a new way of doing intellectual property theft. It is. Shame the copyright <laughs> probably expired because you know, technologically oh, yeah. no one cares. But if I wanted to steal bleeding cowboys, mm. I could. If you wanted to. If I wanted to. I can just and download it. I haven't done it already. So. Well, you can, da- you can download it for free if you don't use it for commercial reasons. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Should, should we move on to focus? Uh, focus. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I think it's he, it's time. He said without panic in his voice because he doesn't have a focus. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> it's right. <laughs> I I had one, but I I need to find it. Jan, please. Should I start? Okay, I just have to find it now. Um, well, because I've been on the road and I have not really had time to like watch any YouTube. I'm just gonna take something that's in my backlog. But the guy actually is really good doing it, and it kind of goes in the same as Boily Hobby Times. And I just clicked it away. Uh, it's uh, Stutzen Studios. Uh, he's also like a miniature, well, not miniature painter, but he makes dioramas. And he specializes in like the Ghibli movies and stuff like that. And he just recently made a castle. And let me just see if I can. Nope, I lost it. But it's um, great humor, uh, really enjoyable to watch. It's kind of that like easy watching experience. If you don't know what you want to do or you can't sleep, yeah, it fits right in there. What was the name again? Uh, Stutzen Studio, like S-T-U-D-S-O-N. Yes, I think I found it. Yeah, I yeah. I, I just can't switch it on or else I'm going to mess up the recording. That's why I can't do the, the sneaky stuff that you guys always do and just open a second tab and... Google for it. <laughs> or search for it I have no Google. idea what you're trying to say. Yeah, exactly. Uh, never done it. See, seeing the changing light in your face while you're like through, switching through browsers. <laughs> or in in my defense, adding your po- focus to the list. Thank you. Of things. At least you allow me to be lazy. Yeah, everyone's around. Shall I go? Yes, please do. Can I can I have a multi multi focus? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So. I'm going to go for one person that a lot of people might know within the maker sphere, and that's Make With Miles, who has produced a camera bag this week. Mm. If you remember Make With Miles, when he first came to YouTube, he was doing a lot of stuff in his dad's sewing shop. And this is getting back to that original thing. He's making a bag. Um, I made Adam Savage's EDC one bag based on the fact that he made one. Um, A bag I gave to a dear friend of all of ours, Phil. Um, but he's making a bag for a film camera. And that is a something that I've been very much into recently, as has for a long time uh, another maker in our world, Phil Makes Things. And the reason I found that out is that I watched a YouTube channel uh, called Ribsy, who's a New Yorker living in London at the moment who does analog photography. And he said, I'm doing a new feature this week where I shout out the best comments on my last video. And I thought, oh, okay, fine. Like, you know, almost about to close it. And then he says, uh, this commenter said, from Phil Makes Things. I was like, what? I know him. <laughs> and I had to, I, I skipped back and thought, yeah, that logo is the same. Uh, so Phil and I had a really good chat about uh, different camera things that 
you know, he's been into and knows a huge amount about. He studied photography at university 10 something years ago. Uh, so I've very much been enjoying that. And if you want to go even more sideways that I can't link, but I've been on a bit of a Nardwar binge. Are you familiar like with Nard- Nardwar? The human serviette. I've heard a name. Can you develop it? So I'll fill you in. So Nardwar is a Canadian journalist uh, based in Vancouver, British Columbia. And he he is the most unlikely looking person to interview people who broadly would be classified as rappers. He is a brilliant journalist. He... He's very much into music. He's into punk rock and plays in a couple of bands. But he dresses like a complete nerd and has the obsessive journalistic knowledge of a complete nerd about everyone he interviews. And if you say he's done a number of interviews with people like Snoop Dogg and he'll Mm -hmm. say like, Snoop, back in this person, you did this with this person and you went to school with this person. And he's like, how do you know that? I was like, <laughs> I've got his record here. This is for you. And it just goes on and on. And he's, you know, deep cut after deep cut of knowledge that people look at him going, how do you know the name of my fifth grade maths teacher? Yeah. <laughs> and it's incredible. And so he uh, he did a TED talk as well that you can you can watch about how he does things. And he said that he was so nervous. All he could do was uh, learn as much as he could about someone. And that's how he takes his interviews. He's interviewed yeah. everyone from Snoop Dogg to Kurt Cobain to you name it. He's probably interviewed them. So if if you want to to look into it, it's Nardwar. So N-A-R-D-W-U-A-R. That should bring it up. But his, his YouTube channel is called Nardwar Serviette. He's got millions of views, mm-hmm. so you don't need it. Uh, and just to clarify my other shout outs, because this is a, like a pet peeve of mine on podcasts, mm-hmm. that you don't listen at the beginning to who someone focus spiffs. And then you need to, you, you sound quite interesting. You're like, oh, this sounds great. I should write it down. And you have to, you're in the car and you have to skip back. So I talked about Make With Miles, who's making a bag and analog photography. Ribsy, the YouTube channel who shouts out Phil Makes Things and Nardwell. There you go. That's for anyone who's in their car right now. In, in the, Theme of, uh, well, uh, let me start all the way, all the way direction, so to speak. Um, yesterday, I was at uh, the screening of my brother's film. What? Oh yeah, I saw that. Uh, uh, Your face was glorious. So my brother's been. I, I missed something. Your brother made a film or was in a movie? Uh, well, so so here's the thing. Uh, he's been studying uh, script writing in in Oslo for the past two years, I think, though, maybe a bit longer. He's been in studying various bits of film for a while now. And there was this uh, end-of-year screening of all the student films. So they had eight different short movies, about 10 minutes length each. And when, the, when, when sort of they had the opening image up on the big screen in the theater, uh, there was sort of the posters of all eight of them. And I just walked in and said, that one. My brother made that one. And then I looked at him and said, am I right? And he was like, yes. <laughs> and then I made a post about it. It's it, it's a depressing movie. And then I showed it to him and was like, you haven't even seen it yet. And I was like, but am I right? And he was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
uh, because of course I know my brother and uh, we've we've talked through a lot of the things he have uh, written before and I, of course I know him very well and know how his uh, how dark his mind can be at times um, but it was a lot of really good films they're all in Norwegian but I believe most of them are going to be submitted to some various international film festivals. Oh, so there's going to be subtitles. Yes, probably. Uh, no idea about when, but I will do my very best to sh- share them when they are released with subtitles. Um, but if nothing else, uh, if you want weird, interesting, movie-related stuff, you can find my brother on Instagram at uh, freetits. Freetits. Free uh, no. <laughs> no, <laughs> there will be a link, but that's <laughs> F-R-I-T-T-E-Z. I said, yeah. Okay. I believe. Uh, there will be links uh, all the way, but going with the whole uh, gizmosity factor of machinery, uh, I want to give a good little focus to uh, ClickSpring. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just keeps on going super nerdy in depth about all kinds of weird, interesting things. Yep. And he's been fiddling with, uh, is it a Rose engine kind of thing that uses a lot of cogs and gears and to make repeatable geometric patterns? Like, like it, it's basically a lathe, but instead of going perfectly circular, it's have a cutting head that follows some kind of geometric path that then you can use to make absolutely wild, perfectly machined patterns that are repeatable and looks trippy in all the ways. And I want one of those machines, even though they are useless for anything I want to do, but they are so pretty. <laughs> yeah, it's like a spirograph that cuts metal. Yeah. Yep. If, yes. you, if that's a reference that anyone else gets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, yeah, that actually puts a pretty good visual in my head. Oh, that's going on my watch list. I wanted a spirograph so bad when I was a kid, and every time I asked for one for Christmas, I I didn't get one. So, I will buy one at some point in my life, just for the sake of it. My focus of the week uh, is nowhere to be found. So instead, um, I will recommend uh, the things that I'm watching on. Netflix or Amazon Prime uh, when I'm not sleeping at night because that's something I I, I do uh, frequently these days. Uh, first thing, uh, the absolute brilliant ending of Peaky Blinders. The last season, the last episodes are out. Uh, I've been in love with this TV show for years and Killian Murphy is absolutely fantastic and underrated actor i think um so the end of the show is brilliant go watch it if you like picky blinders i actually want to um, watch that too because i think it's uh, located in birmingham where the maker Central was absolutely yeah yeah it's the it's the story of this guy uh, in, in birmingham absolutely uh, the second one is on Disney Plus. It's Obi Wan. I'm nah. five episodes in. I'm not convinced yet. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm two. And yeah, the the, the for me the first two episodes were the worst. But okay, um, I like 
the way that they are keeping alive the passion of the fans and they are feeding them something to chew on uh I, i'm not sure if i if i ex express myself correctly but um i like the idea that a guy gives to uh, something even if you don't like it if you don't agree with it if, even if it's not perfectly well made or or made as it should be I like the idea that a guy is making, and a lot of people are working on this show, are making the effort or cre of creating a story for a character, a backstory, and a show, an episode, just to for people to enjoy. Like a gift, so to speak. After so many years of uh, good or bad Star Wars, like expanding this world because people want to see more about this world, is uh, something actually actually fantastic i think uh you, you can think it's good it's bad i it, it's totally up to you the sh you like the show you don't like the show up to you but the fact that some people are passionate enough to dedicate like one three five ten years of their life to creating a show for people to enjoy is just astonishing to me uh, so it, it, it's worth um, saying bravo to this. So uh, Obi-Wan, uh, great show, not because of the story, but because of the actors, because damn, Ewan McGregor. Uh, and the last one, back on Netflix, uh, today, the last uh, or the latest uh, season of uh, The Umbrella Academy is out. <gasps> is that today? Yeah, yeah, and I've yes! been waiting for, for this for so long because I oh. love this show. And I spent last week of um, rewatching season one and two. And I'm so happy that season three is out now. So I will watch it uh, probably tonight when I'm not sleeping. So yeah, that's 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 the thing. And for next week, I will have a proper uh, focus. Uh, yeah, great. Anyway, that's the end of the podcast. I'm going to go and watch The Umbrella Academy. It's been lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Where can people find you, though, James, before you run off? On his they couch. Can... <laughs> <laughs> on his couch in front of the TV, watching Umbrella. Yeah. <laughs> just, he just told you. That's it. I, I'm on sofa, yeah. Uh, you can find me on uh, Instagram and YouTube as Malt and Make. M-A-L-T and Make. Very nice. And you can find the rest of the podcast on Two Thirds Focused on any of the mostly social places. And you can find me at Rasmus Lewin and Lewinsmeer.no if you are blacksmithing curious or something of that sort. And you can find me on the internet at theredsmith.com and everywhere on social at Redsmith or The Redsmith. And you can find me at nerdinventor.com or nerdinventor on the usual socials. Nice. James, Thanks, James. Thank, yeah, thank you so much. And thank you for being on. And the after show. Oh, wait, that's a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.